and welcome to episode 119 of Retro Encounter. Uh, I'm your host this evening, Robert Fenner, and joining me is Hilary Andreff. Hi, I'm here again for Odin and the glory of Valhalla. <laughs> if you hadn't guessed by that statement, we are playing Valkyrie Profile this month, the uh, side-scrolling RPG slash platformer slash rhythm slash fighting game from Triace, uh, originally released to uh, PlayStation 1 in 2000, and then uh, re-released in 2006 to the PSP as Valkyrie Profile Leno. Um, so, um, Hillary, have you played this game before? Yes, I have, a long time ago. I played it when I was in high school, actually, and then a few years later, I got about halfway through on hard mode again. So, yeah, multiple times. Um, yeah, lucky you. Uh, this game also <laughs> came out when I was in high school, uh, but... It was one of those really highly sought after uh, late PlayStation One games. So um, I could never find it in stores, and the rental place that I went to, it was always just always checked out. So um, I didn't get a chance to play it until I no, I played it a little bit, um, but I really dove into it and, and made a, a, a real playthrough when I uh, picked up uh, Leneth on PSP uh, when that came out. So this is this is a weird and unique and really cool game. Um, it's a uh, it's a Yoshiharu Gotanda game, uh, who is the founder of Triace and the um, guy behind uh, Star Ocean. But it's um, it's it's not really like anything else that uh, Triace have done, and in fact, it kind of sets stands apart from other JRPGs of its era and and as, as of now. Um, it's. Uh, well, like a lot of JRPGs, it does borrow a great deal from Norse mythology. It's probably one of the one of the most influenced uh, Norse Norse mythology based games out there. But it is uh, very much a bastardization of those um, <laughs> of those myths. It's not very accurate. Yeah, you, you could definitely say that. Um, I remember when I first I kept an eye out for it. Actually, once I heard it was coming out, specifically because of that. Because I'm, I'm definitely a mythology buff, and I booted it up, and like within the first few minutes, I was going, "Wait, oh, isn't it's, Frey? It's Frey, nailed? and it's a girl." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shouldn't Odin have an eye patch? <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of all wrong, but that's okay. Um, it really is. It's surprising how okay it, it is, at least in my personal case. Yeah, um, it's the kind of thing that annoyed me at first, and would normally uh normally annoy me but i think in the case of valkyrie profile it's um world is so weird and its writing is so strong that it manages to uh make up for its glaring inaccuracies yeah it almost it's almost something entirely different honestly it kind of becomes its own its own different story uh so uh valkyrie profile uh, so named because it takes place from the side view, uh, so your Valkyrie is in profile, uh, follows the adventures of uh, Leneth Valkyrie, a, well, the titular Valkyrie. She's, uh, she's a death goddess who is taking the souls of uh, those who've fallen in battle to become great warriors of, uh, of the forces of Asgard in, uh, in Valhalla to uh, fight on the front lines of uh, Ragnarok, the, uh, the end of the world. Right. My cat's walking across my keyboard and he's making a lot of noise. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know how much we're going to go into this today, maybe a little, but you learn pretty early on, like in the intro, that she is one of three of the main Valkyries in this world. And uh, she's recently awoken, I guess, to her Valkyrie 
form job and Odin and Freya task her to yeah look for basically the best warriors they possibly can recruit them send them to Valhalla so that's kind of an interesting thing I, I thought because they don't stay in a lot of cases they don't stay with you for very long but we can get more into that later that's right they don't um to to get the best ending in this game in fact to avoid getting a, a bad ending where you're just blasted into oblivion you have to uh send um you have to regularly send um uh your einheria your party members uh to uh be granted godhood to uh to join the forces of uh of valhalla in the afterlife uh and you're usually given criteria in fact you're always given great criteria each chapter of what kind of what what character of person that they're looking for so you're uh asked to build characters in a certain way and following following Odin's directions to to the letter grants you uh more bonus items and um kind of currency points they're called materialization points because you're divining items in this game but you, you you know you get a better evaluation at the end of each chapter which gives bonuses depending on how how well your characters fit the bill yeah and there are a lot of skills and different areas that you can kind of play with. I think they have... It's almost overwhelming. Like, it really is, because they have personality traits and skills, and especially in the beginning chapters, you're not really quite sure what all of them do. Yeah. On top of that, there's, like, skills that only manifest when you equip a certain item. It's it's all a bit much. And it doesn't yeah, explain and the, anything. Right, and the traits, you're really not sure. I mean... You're basically improving the traits so your heroes have the right personality for Valhalla, but you don't really, you don't see any sort of change until that like sacred phrase at the end of each chapter where mm -hmm. uh, Freya and Odin report in. Yeah, the the main uh, your main thrust in in Valkyrie Profiler, the main thrust of the plot is divided into two distinct phases. Um, uh, each chapter has a uh, set number of uh, periods, and taking actions takes up periods. Uh, so you'll have 24 periods in a chapter, and uh, concentrating to find the voices of people in, in woe who, who uh, could be scouted for the cause takes up a few periods. That also, you know, you'll also concentrate to find dungeons, uh, and then entering dungeons and towns and watching these vignettes also uh, take up time. So, um, it seems like you've got a lot of time, but you end up having to having to manage it. And at the end of each chapter comes the sacred phase, which kind of reminds me a little bit of um, like a very very light touch on something like Romance of the Three Kingdoms, where you know rather than actually doing any strategy stuff, once you've sent your chosen Einheria up to the uh, up to the hereafter, you uh, see um, little bits of battles that play out in text form or conversations that these that these characters have just to give a little bit of insight into how they're getting on in Valhalla. Yeah, exactly. And it still influences their hero value. Mm. Yes. Yeah. That's right. You can just kind of get a report each chapter. So it builds like if the heroes you send in earlier chapters are still doing missions right up until the end. And I think typically they're using some of the traits that Freya and Nona are asking for later. So it kind of, builds in a somewhat predictable way hmm, yeah. but sometimes yeah sometimes it it's an interesting system and i think you're right it's sort of strategy but sort of not because you're just hearing back <laughs> yeah um actually it kind of reminds me of those um uh those away missions in final fantasy tactics yes yes That's the one. very much yeah 
<laughs> where they report back and tell you about all the hardships that they went through. Well, right. you just let the game idle. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like that. Give you some spoils. <laughs> so, um, one of the things, one of the many things that makes Valkyrie Profile so unique is its uh, battle system, which uh, is, it takes a little while to get the hang of, but it becomes immensely rewarding once you do. Um, it's this uh, kind of mix of turn-based and um, kind of rhythmic um, <laughs> rhythmic battle system where uh, each of your each of your characters, four max in a party, will be assigned to a face button and pressing the face button will send them out to attack or uh, fire off a spell if they're a spellcaster. And um, you can just button mash and have everybody run out at once, but um, you're watching you're watching animations play out and you're seeing uh how long one of your characters takes to strike and then you try to chain uh chain um attacks together that way to um you know build up the biggest combo meter and uh get the opportunity to pull off a uh finishing move uh and then there's even more to make it a little bit more complex like if you uh air juggle an enemy you'll gain um these uh, magic crystals which give experience point bonuses or if you hit them when they're on the floor you can gain these orbs that will either you'll either gain orbs that uh restore your uh your turn weight limit uh ct i think it's called in this game i'm not sure what that stands for uh or they'll uh, it's a it's a way for you to um knock chests out of the enemy and get some spoils yeah and and that is that is super important because even the the weapon you have equipped will change like how many how many times you hit the speed some attacks will knock an enemy up or down so if one person's you know knocking an enemy up and then the other's doing a low attack then they'll miss completely that's always a possibility mm-hmm. so there's there's a lot of timing to it it's it's one of those things that much like the rest of this game it's not very well explained but you eventually sort of do uh, learn by, osmo- by osmosis and you just kind of learn by doing and um, you know you start to just you know see see beyond what's on the screen and um, uh, you, you've got a better idea of um, what action will do what and uh, what is useful against what type of, of uh, what type of uh, foe very frustratingly a lot of your characters come with no weapons at all uh, and it almost gives the impression that they're useless and then they'll you'll just see an immense change once you uh, go into that options menu and give them a weapon mm-hmm. so somebody will be holding a bow gun but they're actually barehanded right exactly um, also just to kind of side note to add to that pretty often they will also have special items that you can go back to um, when they were alive, you can sometimes it's decorative items, sometimes it's weapons, but that's pretty helpful and also not exactly well explained. Yeah, th- uh, that that's correct. You uh, you will find some decent weapons that way. Um, a lot of the times they're weapons that break very easily, but uh, they're still yeah. nice to have and and to hold them for uh, specific situations. You'll be doing a lot of hoarding of breakable weapons in this game. Yeah, you you do. Um, I think uh, the best example of that is probably your spellcasters. There are there's like one subcategory of wands that have a high reliability, but their attack power is not so great. Mm. And then another subset of wands that are quite breakable, but the attack power is higher, and you get a different special attack, which is actually something we haven't gone into yet. Uh, yeah. That'll give your mages a, a stronger. Um, 
special attack where whatever spell they're casting, you get a nice little scene and it hits everyone instead of just one monster. It's, it's the way to get your mages a purify weird soul. Yeah. So we should we, so we <laughs> oh. should talk about purify weird soul because I love yes. those words. I do too. It's great to see, to see that on the screen. It cracks me up. It's really, really good. Um, in Valkyrie Profile, when you string a uh, strong enough combo together, uh, a meter will fill up uh, on... Uh, on, on, the, on the side of the screen, and uh, reach, getting that meter from 0 to 100 allows you to pull off a Purify Weird Soul, uh, which is uh, a finishing move for uh, any any one of your characters. And um, pressing the buttons in the right combat, you, you'll you execute one at a time, but choosing who you uh, choose to send out in which order uh, dip, is dependent whether you'll fire one off or fire off all four. Yeah, it sort of functions similar to, similarly to the uh, battle system, regular battle system, because mm. your hit meter will be at a certain point where you start, where you have the option to do the purify weird soul. And actually, it's it's probably worth mentioning too that it's a very it's a short window, like right after that hit meter goes up. Oh yeah, you have you have yeah a quick timer to press a button and choose one of your four, and depending where your hit meter is, um, your first choice hero their special attack they're all unique will do well the sorcerers are a little less unique but it'll do a certain number of hits and it'll either fill up the hit meter so you can do another special attack or not and there's some characters who are specifically uh very very bad at filling up that hit meter who uh yeah. you're either like lawfer <laughs> you're either going to want to um use them f- first uh or use them last because uh, they just do not chain um, Purify Weird Souls in the middle very well at all. But I guess before we move on to the characters, um, we should talk a little bit about the setting and the tone of this game. Um, the Valkyrie Profile has two prologues, basically. It's it's one of those uh, early Tri-Ace games that uh, takes a very long time to get going. Um, but the, the first prologue is actually completely optional. You view it from a, um, from a menu on the... Um, uh, from a menu choice on the on the title screen, um, and that uh, I think that really sets the tone for this game. Um, it's this short vignette of uh, these two children, uh, Platina and her friend Lucian, and um, Lucian sneaks into Platina's room at night to inform her that her her very cruel parents have sold her as a slave to these um, very flashy looking men in black who look like they've come from a different game. They really do. They look modern. Yeah, they've got sunglasses and trench coats. It's like completely at odds with all the peasantry who are walking around. So um, Lucian and Platina decide to run away in the night. um, And they come to uh, this this meadow of uh, lilies, uh, weeping lilies, they're called. Uh, And Lucian quite quickly... quite quickly realizes that um, weeping lilies are extremely toxic and just being around them will uh, enact a poison strong enough to kill you. And um, Platina decides to lay down in the meadow because life is so horrible that um, she might as well uh, might as well die. <laughs> Which um, is Ugh. very, very grim. It is grim. It, uh, it's also very, very dramatic and I think you're right. It set the tone mm. quite well. And also, it's Brock and Misty's tearful goodbye. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Valkyrie Profile, the voice cast, is the cast of the uh, first Pokemon anime. Uh, full uh, Through and through, um, 
especially of note is um, the late uh, Matty Blaustein, uh, who voices uh, Arngrim and uh, Lizard Valeth. Um, that was um, before she before she uh, became a woman. Um, sadly, no longer with us. But the uh, she's the sister of uh, localizer Jeremy Blaustein, who also worked on this game. But that's just an aside. We're talking about the tone. I'm everywhere today. Um, yeah, I. This is a very very rare game in the fact that there's almost almost no levity in it at all. This is a very serious and somber game that uh, just about every scene in this game is just a, a tragedy in motion, almost to the point of absurdity sometimes. Yeah, that's that's a very good description. And I remember first playing it and I, on this second play, well, on this recent playthrough, exact same thought that the voice acting I actually kind of complements that the almost to absurdity part of that statement. It, it oh, for real? Yeah, it really does. It's it's just just such an interesting contrast, and I don't know. There are points where it just sort of hits in a really interesting and evocative way. Just either because there's like a disconnect, or because there's kind of an undertone of like absurdity and what's going on, and you can hear that the voice acting enhances it. So. Mm. Everybody in Valkyrie Profile is having a bad day. Um, the overarching theme of this game seems to be that this is a, a world in which justice is never done. Uh, and uh, many of the characters, um, your party members included, um, nobody's a very nice person. Um, there's very few nice people in this world. Um, some of them are doing what's right, but I mean, everybody is is doing what they have to do uh, in, in death. So the their affairs have nothing to do with the human world almost they're it's it, they, they've been plucked out of this world of of no justice to do these suffering yeah <laughs> suffering and no and 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 pain to take part in these divine affairs kind of um against well it, not exactly against their will but they don't have any say in the matter um and it strikes me as kind of a faustian narrative it really does some of them have more of a choice than others hmm and the discussions are very different from Einherjar to Einherjar. Like, uh, Princess Jolanda from the first little kind of prologue section, for example, she gets transformed into a monster by an evil spy advisor. Yeah. And Valkyrie just kind of collects her soul without much, you know, pretense whatsoever. But then with Arngrim, who dies a little bit later, um, kind of through the consequences of Jolanda's kidnapping and stuff like that. Um, they have a discussion a little bit about Valkyrie's role and is she, is she just a death goddess that harvests souls? Valkyrie, th- throughout the bulk of this game, is very, very cold. And um, she's not exactly heroic. She's doing her duty, and a lot of the time that means coming up against... Uh, Figures that are very, very bad for the world and and bad for um, bad for the the realm of the gods as well. Uh, but she um, she's almost almost cruel um, in the matter of factness uh, that she yeah. that she plucks souls and doesn't really show much much care. Well, same with the the enemies. There's uh, there were several times, like even in the first three chapters, where oh, yeah. she'd come to a boss in a dungeon and just be like, "Nope, you're an abomination. You're gonna die." <laughs> yeah. And the monster sort of points out, like, "Well, I'm a living being too," and just no no gray area. 
Yeah, some of these guys I didn't have a whole lot of uh, sympathy for, uh, but right. I I really did for the uh, for the dragon zombie in particular because he was just hanging yeah. out. Yeah, in a swamp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did nothing wrong. Um, yeah, so um, we've talked a little bit about the characters. I think we should probably get into them in a little bit more depth. Um, you mentioned the uh, first prologue, chapter zero, or the second prologue, uh, chapter zero, uh, which is the story of uh, Arngrim and, and Jolanda. And um, Arngrim, he is this uh, brash, he's this brash mercenary who uh, takes on uh, odd jobs for the... Uh, Knighthood in Artolia, uh, when they, you know, when, when they need a helping hand or when they don't want to take a job, uh, Arngrim is there. Uh, he lives with his, uh, disabled brother who's a painter. He's a very gentle painter. Um, and, um, Arngrim ends up angering Princess Jolanda when she makes, when he makes a fool of her father, the king, uh, in the, at this, uh, award ceremony. He, uh, he, he receives a cash payment and, uh, a small statue uh, for his work on the battlefield, but uh, while the king is giving it to him, he makes a statement looking down on Arngrim for his profession and his low birth. Uh, so uh, Arngrim uh, smashes the uh, smashes the statue in front of him and walks off, which uh, yeah. completely upsets Jolanda. Yeah, and and it it really is in line with um with some of the themes we were talking about earlier. With no one's actually particularly good because Arngrim's thinking you know oh they're violent too you know everything is just violence but they're getting me to do their dirty work Hmm. and the king is thinking oh he's you know a barbarian mercenary at the same time Hmm. so yeah it's an interesting setup so then um, yeah yeah Go ahead. So after that, Jolanda's furious. She talks to her advisor, Lombert, about kind of hinting that she, that she, something needs to be done about this. Like the royal family of Artolia shouldn't be, you know, made a fool of in this way. Um, and he tries to tell her to come down. He leaves, and then she comes up with a plan. To mm. kind of get back at Arngrim. And this is um, one of the few, one of the few moments of levity in the game, uh, which doesn't last for very long. Where uh, Jolanda, uh, who has rarely been outside the castle, uh, decide, uh, disguises herself as just a posh girl named Angela, who's uh, and she's wearing a bonnet. Talk about another <laughs> anachronistic thing. <laughs> she's wearing a bonnet and giant glasses. And she um, she makes her way to Arngrim's house under the pretenses to hire him for a job, but she just um, she doesn't really have a plan. So she takes him to this um, to this Yamato style restaurant and orders a bunch of food, and then is like the worst patron ever. She makes such a scene in this restaurant, and he's so embarrassed. Yeah, <laughs> she's basically the collier manager. None of this is right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think she uses that line. Yeah, she does. <laughs> um, and she just orders a bunch of things. She doesn't want to eat octopus. She's, like, horrified to find out that this place serves octopus, even though it's a legitimate form of Yamato-style cuisine in this game. And mm. uh, she <laughs> she ends up getting parched from ranting at the poor staff. 
and drinks what she thinks is water, uh, and it is not, and she passes out on the table. Is this soy sauce? I can't remember. Something like that. She says it's cloudy. Ah, okay. So, I I know when I first played, I just kind of assumed it was alcohol. Okay, yeah, it probably is. <laughs> Arngrim's a good sport. He uh, sits through all of this, um, just very, uh, very sheepish, and then he has to pay the bill. <laughs> Uh, but the jig is up. He takes uh, he takes Jolanda back home and uh, lets her sleep it off. Um, and uh, when she wakes up, he uh, he pretends that he's none the wiser to her identity, even though even though he knows full well. Yeah, at this point, it's completely obvious. And mm-hmm. well, she uses some com- of the same insults as on the staff that she used on him when he was in the uh, in in the king's uh, in the king's hall. Oh. Yeah, she like at some point uh, while they're talking. Yeah, she says some of the same things. Yeah, a, a thousand deaths is not a, is not enough for you. <laughs> a thousand deaths, yeah. Imagine saying that to a waiter. <laughs> mm. So from there, he talks to Roland a little bit more. Just kind of, you think she's going to come back? Mm, not sure. And then he has another job that he's been recruited for. Hmm. Uh. So um. Arngrim and uh, this ne'er-do-well uh, Badrek, uh, they've both been uh, asked to uh, ensure a, uh, a, a parcel uh, gets to the neighboring uh, empire of Vilnor, who uh, Artolia are not on the best of terms with. There's a ceasefire, but they're not getting along. Uh, and um, before long, um, the uh, the Artolian guards come running up to the, to the caravan to... Uh, stop um stop uh stop this delivery um something seems to be up Arngrim doesn't really know what's going on uh they open the crate and it's uh it's princess jolanda inside who's been um tied up and uh and is passed out uh and the guards uh they uh try to rouse her so they can take her back home uh and they end up giving her this this potion that uh lombard uh gave to them to to give to her to 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 rouse her and it ends up turning her into like this big baphomet demon so um it's uh it's not good for her no not at all so i think it's at that point when um leneth and freya yes Mm. another side note freya's with you this whole time she's Mm kind of guiding you through your process of your job as a valkyrie so she's there she's your tutorial character who gives you no tutorial So she's there during this prologue where you're watching Angrim and Jolanda, and she's there in the first dungeon after that as well. Um, but they, I think it's at this point that they step in hmm. because they, yeah, the medicine has just caused Jolanda to become a really powerful monster. So they dispatch this uh, Jolanda monster, and um, Arngrim is is promptly jailed for uh, kidnapping and, and murdering the princess. Uh, and... Um, yeah, he's trying to. Oh, so oh he, no, that's think, not what happened. Yeah, he goes <laughs> bad. back to confront Lombert. Yeah, like I think they're you know the guards are obviously looking for him at this point. Yeah. Um, he goes back to confront Lombert. Lombert's a, a necromancer, as it turns out. Yeah, so you have to fight him too. <laughs> he's bad. Uh, yeah, he he uh, he's so he masterminded the whole thing. He he mm-hmm. he was going to send. Uh, he was going to send her away to uh, Vilnor to be captured by their empire, and if it all blew up in in their face, um, he could off the princess as well. He seems to be a bit of an agent of chaos. Yeah, he was 
just guaranteeing that no one would find out about this. Um, so Valkyrie and Freya are not very happy about this. So you fight him too. And then, of course, at that point, all of the palace guard is basically at the door and Arngren's fighting them off. Um, and the, the leader of the guard uh, confronts Arngrim and Arngrim can't raise arms against him because he sees him as a mentor. So um, he drops, and, his, drops his sword. And, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and the father of someone else kind of in their warrior group, right? Isn't that Lawford's father? I think you're right. I think it is Lawford's father. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like it. Mm. But yeah, obviously someone he knows and looks up to. Mm-hmm. So, so. He, he drops his sword, but not before pulling a uh, pulling a suicide dagger and uh, committing seppuku. And uh, that's how Arngrim becomes our first real party member. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a pretty handy party member who will probably stay with you a lot throughout the game because Freya, at multiple points in this prologue in First Dungeon, mentions that hmm, he might not be the best material for Valhalla. <laughs> yeah, there's no point in raising his traits because he'll never make it in. He's too much of a he's too much of a firebrand <laughs> for heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think he he's a good character. I mean, he's you know, he's he's the the big tough guy. But um, I think that this this prologue and his uh, back and forth with Jolanda, who ends up whose soul ends up joining the party at this point as well, um, does a lot to does a lot to humanize this character. Um, and I I was very very fond of him. Yeah, agreed. And they talk to each other, if I'm not mistaken, a little bit, too, when he's recruited because she's already there. So he gets to know that she's, like, relatively safe, and it's it's another, like, nicer moment in all of this. It is, yeah. Uh, um, so in, in between story scenes, you're, you're going to dungeons. Uh, the dungeons are kind of unrelated to the plot at large until, until about halfway through the game. Um, so this first dungeon that you go through with Freya and Arngrim and uh, Jolanda is this this mountain ruin that's been taken over by vampires, and uh, and you slay them. Yep, pretty straightforward. Um, after that, I mean, it's definitely the tutorial dungeon. So, mm-hmm. like, I guess another thing to point out here is that some of the dungeons in the game have unique qualities, which is which is great. Like this one, there are pillars that you have to smash and other. And you're basically just learning using Valkyrie's crystals, which you can use to like jump up ledges. Mm-hmm. So you're basically you're learning the basic mechanics in this one. Um, but later dungeons have special things as well that you'll need this information for. Like the one that I just finished in chapter three, there are sort of these ice lasers, so you have to use your crystals to focus them in different directions. Um, I hated this. This was um, <laughs> it was a cool idea that was very poorly executed. <laughs> yeah. Some of these dungeon ideas are more more well executed than others, but most of them have some kind of unique like event experience feature. Yeah, which uh, gives you kind of Dungeons and Dragons style uh, party exp uh, every which time you pull off. Very one of these helpful events. if you're <laughs> very helpful if you are on hard mode and everyone starts at level one, no matter where you are in the game. That's right. You're playing on hard this time, aren't you? I am. I I am not. I couldn't face it. I've tried before, <laughs> uh, but uh, I knew that I probably wouldn't complete it in time if I did. Yeah, I I wanted some of the extra plot points because last time around I got to about chapter four or five on hard mode, and there 
there's some extra characters. There's a little extra background. So mm. I, I really want to try and get through that. Frustratingly, Valkyrie Profile is a game that gates um, story content and dungeons behind your difficulty level. Mm-hmm. Um, which I really could have done without that. Um, it feels a little uh, a little gatekeepy. Um, I guess it's encouraging repeat playthroughs. <laughs> yeah, it it seems a little bit misguided. Or yeah, it does. At least. <laughs> it does, but it doesn't because one of the biggest instances of that is the the A ending, and that is just gated in an extremely obscure way. So it would it would take. I don't know how long it would take to actually kind of figure it out and stumble into all the right steps you need to take to get that ending. Yeah, like, it's I think you'd, pretty you'd complicated give up. <laughs> to to get the true ending of this game. Yeah, I should also mention I actually, when I originally got this game, I also got the strategy guide and I have it with me, so I'm actually using it now and then. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm doing <laughs> so I'm doing this um, old school. Very nice. Yeah, I'm I've I've got guides in hand, but um, not not the physical guidebook. That would be lovely. Um, but yeah, um, navigating the dungeons in this game, it's kind of, it's, well, I wouldn't really call it Metroidvania-esque. It's, it's a dungeon scene from the side view. You go in and out of rooms, you, uh, fire off these crystals to create platforms. Um, mostly you're just going up and down, in and out, and, uh, making sure you are, um, (laughs) making sure you, you know where you are on the map. Um, it's... I think a little bit more could have been done with these dungeons. I think, you know, uh, the odd puzzles that pop up every so often aside, um, there's not a whole lot of difference or uh, between them, and some of them don't feel too well authored. I mean, some of the caves in particular feel very, very similar to each other. Yeah, definitely. I, I have to agree on that. It seems like, like there's kind of... And a lot of them, there's one small aspect that kind of differentiates them, but especially the Caves of Oblivion. I mean, yeah, those those are hard to get excited about. <laughs> they are. It's this uh, not quite procedurally generated, but it's a different instance of the same dungeon that pops up every chapter, and they uh, the instances are randomized, but they're all discrete from one another. But they all they all look exactly the same. They're just different by you know, what types of rooms there are and what types of monsters there are. Yeah, and I always kind of wondered if that was an intentional choice just so that you don't know which Cave Oblivion you're walking into. I think it probably is. It's a neat choice. I mean, you can, if if the if the die rolls correctly, you'll get a, um, like, end-of-game Cave of Oblivion in the first chapter and not be able to do anything, and I love that kind of thing. <laughs> right, or or you're, like, running running through there extremely fast, just crystallizing the monsters and grabbing whatever treasure you possibly can yeah <laughs> uh, but there's there's a downside to that as well because you won't get the cave will disappear after you go through it once so you mm. won't get any of the experience from the enemies mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting but it especially the look is mm-hmm. it's very bland um, did you have any? Uh, did you have any favorite dungeons in this first half of the game? Uh, by the way, listeners, we're playing through uh, chapters um, zero to three in this episode, and uh, the uh, second episode in two weeks will cover the remainder. Oh, hmm. You got those, I... those extra hard mode dungeons, don't you? Yes. So so far, I have been through Salerno Academy is the hard mode specific dungeon that I've been through, and that. That one I was pleased with mostly because it was not as frustrating as I remembered. 
mm. uh, from my previous playthrough. The idea is it's actually loosely associated, I think, with the Magic Academy in one of the towns, and they were doing botany research, so it's kind of a plant-themed dungeon. Mm. Um, there are vines that you cut through, and then there are three types of vines that respond to different scents. So it's kind of a maze. You have to figure out how to get to the three scents, what rooms those are in. And then you have acid to stop the vines from going back for a certain number of screens. So you have to plan how to get from point A to point B in the fewest number of screens to get past all of the vines to the boss. Uh, I don't know if I ever did that one when I played on hard mode. That. <laughs> That sounds really complex and quite fascinating for uh, for a first chapter dungeon. Yeah, I think a lot of the interesting dungeons are the hard mode dungeons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also like the I don't know, I like the clockwork mansion, clockwork mansion too. Mostly, maybe the look of it. Mm-hmm. But I think I stopped there the last time I tried to play. That's a that's a tough one. It's got this yeah. like it's got this kind of puzzle um, elevator room. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, it's the rooms rotate kind of like a clock, and every time you go from one room to another, the directions change, and it's it's you can sort of see a path forward at first, but it mm. changes every time. So you have to kind of memorize how the rooms change on top of the general path. Um, it's a lot of trial and error. Yeah, it's like a side view version of one of those like wizardry puzzles of uh, yes, it spins you around uh, and then doesn't show you on the mini map. Um, yeah, I um even though it's it's a uh it's not the most uh interesting dungeon um purely for aesthetics I really like the Black Dream Tower uh in chapter th- uh oh that's the beginning of chapter 4 actually never mind but uh, I'll mention it anyway. I like the Black Dream Tower. Uh it is a um it's this mess of corpses that this um deluded oh, yeah. follower he thinks he's following Odin but he's actually following the demons. And he's been, uh, he's a sorcerer who's been killing people and shoving their bodies into the walls of this tower until it's become this, like, very, very monstrous, um, kind of biological, um, tube that you have to explore. Um, That reminds reminds me of the the pillar in Eternal Darkness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This in particular reminds me of, um, of uh of the of the uh telnet game uh valis um or the valis series who um uh wolf team uh did the first entry and wolf team later went on to become triace um and so, some of the uh later dungeons in in the early valis games kind of have this kind of uh kind of feel that the um that the black dream tower does um particularly some of the non-linear dungeons at the end of Valis 2. And um, I'm what, I don't think these games share any staff, but I'm wondering if they took a little inspiration from one of their earlier titles for uh, for this. Um, it Could made, be. made me feel warm and fuzzy anyway, in oh. all of its gore. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worth saying that no matter what dungeon you go to, you do actually get a, a, a pretty cool description. Yeah, you do. There's a lot of nice good. writing around this. Yeah. So... Stepping back slightly, my my general strategy so far in the chapters has been to recruit my inheritor and then do the dungeons so that I can concentrate on leveling up who I need to send that chapter. Coming back to the characters, um, each chapter gives you between two and three inheritor to to recruit. Uh, Sometimes this is randomized, so characters may not show up in the same chapter depending on 
on your playthrough. Like somebody might appear in chapter mm-hmm. two, and then they might appear in chapter four if you're if you're replaying. Um, but uh, there's a whole bunch of them. They each have their own little uh, scene uh, attached to them. Uh, some that are more informative than others. None are quite as in depth as as that first uh, chapter with with Arngrim and Jolanda. But um, there are some there are some interesting ones in there. Oh, hi, Borg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's particularly one group, actually, kind of a band of warriors, and you follow them through. I think you recruit at least one of them in most chapters, actually. Like Lawfer, Arngrim, Cashel, Grey. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're kind of a big group. And I always felt really sorry for, I think her name's Celia, the, the only one of them that doesn't die. Hmm. I always thought that was kind of sad, which is odd to say, but, you know, in the context of this game, mm-hmm. they're all on Harrier and she's stuck. Yeah, that's, um, it's very fitting, um, for, for the rest of the town of just having, having one left behind. Yeah, so some, some of the characters that I met, uh, who I think are of note, uh, we've talked a little bit about Lawfer, um, who, he is a soldier in, in the military of Artolia, who, uh, he trained with Arngrim, but uh, he always wanted to. He always wanted to surpass him. Uh, but you know, he followed his father's footsteps to join the military. But he could never be as good as his friend, who uh, just was not serious about being in the military at all, and just didn't have time for for any of the uh, uh, any of the rules uh, of uh, of being assigned to a uh, to to a country's part uh, to a country's military. It doesn't really. They don't really say how how he dies. Um, he's no, prob- probably killed in battle. It's it's yeah. It's actually a little bit difficult to parse out exactly what's a flashback and what's not because you see him with some of this some of the rest of the group talking about Arngrim. Mm. Lawfer sort of pieced together that Arngrim died because he didn't want to fight Lawfer's father. Mm-hmm. They're talking about this decision that Lawfer's made. That's just a very rash basically kind of suicidal decision and then there's another kind of flash and you see him freeing uh Arngrim's brother Roland that's right who's in jail I kind of figured that he might have been executed for doing so yeah that's always what I how I kind of thought of that and I think after that if you go back to Artolia you you see Cashel and Celia but they still don't really explain what happened hmm (laughs) Cashel's another one who joins the team pretty quickly. Uh-huh. I think in chapter three. Uh, yeah, I, I got him in chapter three. Yeah, uh, Cashel and Celia—they've both uh, gone to—they've both gone to this village to find that everybody in it has been has been petrified by uh, turned to stone by some kind of monster, uh, and they think that Medusa's the most likely culprit. Wrong mythology. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. You know. uh, Cashel ends up losing his life to uh, to a demon who's uh, taken over taken over the ruins next to this town. He ends up joining your party. I think he's an interesting character as well. There's not quite as much going on with him, but uh, he seems to have very little time for the stuffiness of uh, of the ruling class, despite being in their service. Yeah, similar similar kind of theme there. And he seems to have like quite a nice I mean, you don't see very much of it, but it seems like he and Celia have kind of like a nice nice bond and mm-hmm. she she gets 
very sad after he dies and there's like one girl who accidentally freed the demon who was left intact uh, once she was turned to stone mm. and Cashel dies basically protecting the, the serum I think they were on some sort of mission to actually help this village like deliver some aid because yeah, they have they some were. serum yeah so she uses it on this little girl and like the, the vignette ends with Celia telling the little girl you know, to try and be strong, and she Celia ends up breaking down a little bit. <laughs> it's rough, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we should probably talk a little bit about Hylan too, because I've I think yeah all I got all three characters. Stuff, all sorts of stuff are going on in Hylan. Uh I only have uh, two of the characters at the moment. I've got uh, June and Yume, but yeah, let's talk about them. And by all means, uh, talk about the third as well. So all right. Who did you get so, first? I got June first. Actually. Yeah, yeah. so did I. <laughs> so let's see. He's another warrior type. Um, he's searching for a remedy for his twin sister, mm. who is blind. And he ends up coming to a mirror cave, finding a demon, defeating it. But it's not a real demon because the cave is a mirror. And it turns out he was the demon all along. So he kind of becomes a demon. and Those who fight demons. Yeah, and Valkyrie eventually comes and frees him and has a discussion with him about you know his violent tendencies and since twins are connected, was it was it that that hurt his sister or I don't know it was kind of an interesting yeah conversation um, that they had. I think there's about half of a good idea in June's vignette yeah, and then the yep. other half just makes no sense. Yeah, because I mean, right. there's there's definitely a demon, and <laughs> um, they kind of decide that it's a mirror cave after the fact. There's like this demon is pontificating, saying like, "Ah, I'm actually a floating soul, and I'm possessing these vessels." Um, but then they decide it's a mirror, and he's confronted him, his himself, but he had to die anyway. And um, you know, if you're living in a world of demons, and you're having to kill some wicked demons to try and <laughs> cure your loved one's blindness. I don't think he's that I, I don't think he's that bad. <laughs> but um No. Yeah, exactly. I and don't think they handle it that great. No. He does end up he does end up restoring his sister's sight, if I'm not mistaken. He does, yeah. Um But at the cost of his own life and um I think there there's a little bit of pondering whether uh, it would have been better for her to live on blind by her brother's side. Yeah, she she seems to think hmm. so. And and there's a cute little scene in Valhalla where you get some extra hero points because he's thinking about how she's doing. Yeah, that is very sweet. Let's see who else. Okay, so I got Yume next. Hmm. Yeah, I did as well. Yume, um, Yume's a mermaid. Uh, and she is uh, seeking a uh, the, is it the clear lapis? Is that what it's called? The cerulean, lapis? Cer- cerulean lapis, uh, which is uh, which is some kind of magical gem uh, that grants wishes. Um, she gets pulled aboard a um, a fisherman's boat. Um, yep, and it, it's an intentional trick on her part because yeah. she's she has a mermaid form. She's and... hiding those mermaid feet. Yes. Um, but she wants to. She wants to go to the human village to investigate the rumors about this magical wish-granting stone. So she asks the, this fisherman and his son Fuyuki about it, mm-hmm. 
Hmm. Um, and she's also trying to find her father, but kind of at the same time. And it soon becomes apparent that uh, Yume's father uh, was the uh, lord of Hylon, who uh, m- a couple of decades before, he was waging a war against uh, against the merfolk. Uh, but when he went out into battle... He disappeared for a while, and then he came back with a newfound love for the merfolk and uh, tried to uh, put a stop to the war. So um, he was getting busy with a fish lady. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that resulted in Yume, who is a uh, half, uh, half mermaid, half human. Uh, but he has passed on. And, and when she learns this, she explains to Fuyuki that, um, that her mother was basically just kind of completely ostracized among the merfolk for having dealt with a human Mm. and that it was just a really psychologically and emotionally awful for both her mom and her Mm. and that part of the reason that she wants to find her father is maybe and also she mentions that I think her mom has died that's right she has I can't remember how but uh, I know that she, she becomes quite despondent when it becomes apparent that both of her parents are dead Right, she said, well, I wanted to find my father so that maybe at least he would cry for my mom. Which, yeah. Oh my god, that was so sad. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. Uh, so um, she, uh, in her despair, she um, she goes off to sea and ends up revealing her mermaid form to Fuyuki before um, swimming right into this kind of like tsunami slash vortex that's coming. Um, it's a very strange coast. weather phenomenon yeah. around that. <laughs> It's and, like it's shown in an FMV sort of kind yeah. of. <laughs> and um when she disappears, uh the this cerulean lapis appears on the beach. Um it that Fuyuki picks it up and it said when when the heart of a human and the heart of a uh of a, of a mermaid uh become, you know, be- become one when they resonate with each other, this this um item that is like basically a tear uh, is is formed um, and he Fuyuki thinks about what to wish and he ends up wishing that um, Yume will be reunited with her parents and uh, Valkyrie's looking on she's like he loves her and he and he, wa- he wished for her to die well yeah, she's just kind of chilling out in the ocean yeah she's um, just underwater just standing on a pipe or something I don't know this is a, yeah. this is a point where like the voice acting and where things get almost a little absurd because yeah she's just sitting there yeah. in the ocean just watching this happen and... oh we should also mention that Fuyuki's Ash Ketchum so uh huh yeah so there's a point where you know very Lapis emo- grant my wish <laughs> a very emotional performance from him should I should I wish for a brand new boat no I'll wish for her to be happy <laughs> so I don't know I think it's a great I, I love that sort of thing so I think it's a great combination of really sad and absurd it's good it's really really I good I appreciate it yeah. So um Fuyuki's wish is granted and um Yume uh becomes an Einheria and Valkyrie is just kind of doing this because it's his wish. He doesn't she doesn't really know or care if Yume will be a good Einheria. She does that a lot actually. That's one of the main things I've noticed playing this game again after so long. Like she does that with Llewellyn too. I mean, he's a soldier who died at sea because he couldn't swim. He's also Ash Ketchum. <laughs> Yes. Um, and, you know, she, she kind of sighs about it and she's like, well, this isn't my task. But she 
it's almost kind of implied that she selects him so that he can go back and say goodbye to his young fiance. That's right. Of, yeah. Which he does. Um, yeah, I don't know. She, she, for someone who appears so, you know, kind of stoic, she, she does a lot. Like mo- a lot of her selection choices are based on things like that. There are snatches of humanity um, past her cold facade. Um, it's not a spoiler because it's painfully obvious, but uh, the prologue and the beginning of the game basically spells out that um, Valkyrie is the is the reincarnation of this girl Platina who who died. So, um, like the, the very first scene of this game, in fact, uh, once you once you start the game proper, she's having a daydream of uh, standing in a church in a wedding dress, and um, that soon. Uh, dissipates when she, you know, comes back to comes back to reality and stops daydreaming and, you know, goes goes off to meet uh Odin and Freya. Uh but it hints that she has a soft spot for romance. It does. And it's interesting cuz she opens her eyes and she's in this meadow that looks kind of like the one that she died in as a human. Hmm. Um and yeah, and I think that sort of like her selection choices kind of reflect that too Hmm. and almost on a subconscious level really i think she doesn't really know why but her heart knows why if that makes sense and that actually that's a pretty good segue into some of the like features of the game like your seal value and your evaluation level Hmm. some of this stuff is uh apparent and uh some of it not at all in particular the seal level yes I think we'll probably be talking a little bit more about that in the next episode, but we can I was, talk a little bit about <laughs> yeah. it now. And it's well, we, it, it, we'll talk about its inscrutability in this episode. How about that? <laughs> that sounds good. So, at the ends of dungeons, which is something we haven't mentioned yet, there are artifacts, or the property of Odin, and you're supposed to return them to him, but you can opt not to. And that actually Sometimes affects your just... evaluation. Sometimes they're just key items that are useless and you might as well return them. Other times they're super strong weapons, so you might want to hold some of them back. Yeah. and I don't know. That's actually one of the first ways they really introduce the evaluation level. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, other things impact it once you get into the flow of the game, like choosing to send or not to send warriors Hmm. has a huge effect on it, but not sending artifacts does too. Um, a smaller effect, depending on yeah. if, if you keep up to date with who you send and pay attention to the criteria, you can keep every artifact in the game and suffer no problem. Yeah, although for some reason, I when I played before, I did not do a lot of that. I was pretty diligent about returning the artifacts. This mm-hmm. time, not so much. I decided I want to steal from Odin, and there was actually a really funny moment. I'm trying to remember. I think I was at the end of Salerno Academy, and... I hit the button to keep an artifact and this car alarm starts going off right outside my window. (laughs) I saw you post that in the Slack. Yeah. (laughs) It was a trap chest. It was. (laughs) Um, But it's, but it actually, it hasn't gone that badly. I mean, my evaluation rating is like still 96. Mm -hmm. And I've been stealing pretty regularly. (laughs) You get big points for sending uh, Einheria to, uh, to Valhalla. But yeah, I've been stealing pretty regularly as well. I think my uh, evaluation is similarly high. Um, Your evaluation level doesn't really matter as long as it's above zero. 
and uh, uh-huh. which I might talk about a little bit more yes, next time. Yes, I'm, I'm planning on setting aside a save to just you have an option to rest actually and not do anything, which is the quickest way to get your evaluation down to zero. Sleepy, depressed Valkyrie. Yeah, um, <laughs> and if you do that, you get a separate ending. So I want to see that. So I'll talk about that next time. Hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, we, we will come back to that. But there's also a seal level, which it took me forever, like until recently, to figure out exactly why it was called that. Whereas the the Einheria have their hero level, uh, Valkyrie, as a uh, goddess who doesn't have human traits, she has something called a seal level, uh, which is uh, which is not explained. Uh, and uh, depending on uh, your actions, it seems kind of arbitrary until you f- figure out what's going on, probably with the help of a walkthrough, certainly in my case. Yeah, same. Um, it, it's it, like if yeah, it you just watch it nat- naturally. It's it starts at a hundred, mm-hmm. and it it wavers a little bit. But it's yeah, it's hard to figure out exactly what factors are making it go down. Hmm. And that's actually there are several things we probably could have done um, at this point in the game, but I think we're both maybe not doing because hmm. it they do decrease her seal value, at least in my case. I'm trying to keep her seal value high right now. Oh, you are? Yes. Uh, and okay. starting I starting th- toward the end of <laughs> chapter oh, three and four, it's going to yeah. go down. <laughs> you're going to want to keep it high until chapter four, because that's when mm-hmm. things start to kick off. That's correct. And there's a lot of plot-related stuff that we'll be discussing then as well. Unless yeah. you've run into any of it at this point. Uh, I have not at this point, but uh, I will be soon. And um, I'll I'll be making a decision on what actions I take. Oh, that's exciting! Oh, so sacred phases. Anything else that we? I think we basically covered it. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I th- I think we've kind of done the first uh, first half of this game. Um, oh, we would be remiss not to uh, mention uh, Motoi Sakuraba's soundtrack, though. Um, yeah. What, what do you think of the music in this game? I I like it. I think it fit. It brings everything together really well. I think it's a great combination of sort of regal, but really also kind of messy and just dramatic. I don't know how else to describe Mm. it. Depends on where you are in the game, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just helps tie things together well. Hmm. There's a track here and there that I don't want to listen to for too, too long, but (laughs) overall I like it a lot. Um, I'll level with you. Um, I am not the biggest fan of Motoi Sakuraba. Um, <laughs> his uh, primarily his stuff that he does for the Tales series and the Star Ocean series. I can't tell almost any of it <laughs> apart. However, um, yeah, I'm that's fair. I'm a big fan of the stuff that he did at Wolf Team, and I think that he is at his best when he is limited by uh, either a sound set or um, software instruments. Uh, and I think Valkyrie Profile is a very, very good example of a soundtrack where he is limited and his he needs to make some uh, interesting creative choices that I feel result in some really, really catchy melodies. And a lot of these songs um, will stay in my head, um, whereas like the last few Tales games, I couldn't tell you what, what songs were which. But um, I'm I'm a very, very big fa- big fan of the soundtrack. I think it's absolutely excellent, and its uh, odd, uh, disjointed um, melding of genres is very uh, fitting to uh, to what is going on in this game. Yeah, definitely. 
I actually the so the arrange album for this game was I think one of the, like the first few game soundtracks that I actually bought on CD. Oh wow! So, yeah, I, have, I haven't actually heard that one. I'll have to hunt that down. It's it's got some really good stuff on it. There's a really good arrangement of the like the music that plays when she's uh, when Leneth is like flying around. Hmm. Yeah. Which is that's a nice tune. Yeah, it is. Well, I guess before we close out, um, towns. Towns in this game, they're mostly just to see these little vignettes that you don't interact with. And then, you know, you can go back and, uh, and get these items that belong to the characters, um, if, if there is, if, <laughs> if they have one. Um, but there's, there's not a lot going on. You can go around and talk to people, but it feels a little, like almost a little bit incomplete. Yeah. I suppose she doesn't, Leneth doesn't have anything to do with the uh, affairs of the human world. So there's not much point in her, you know, going around and, and I don't know, hassling shopkeeps or, or whatever you you do. Uh, you know, I, guess, that's... I guess like Silmeria does in the, in the sequel. But... Oh, man. Well, yeah. It's, and it's interesting because I think there's a, there's a good reason for both of those choices. Cause mm-hmm. Normally, I would be really, really annoyed visiting a town and not having very much to do but it's just this sort of sort of vague you get a vague sense of what's going on and thematically i think it it provides some good background for you know you see these ordinary people and like some of them are talking about the conflict between artolia and Fillmore, and occasionally people will talk about family members mm. but it's it's a lot of them talking about things that are going wrong really and sometimes they'll talk about their town but it's just kind of like this it provides a nice backdrop for Valkyrie to be against I think in a way like she's it's like you're a visitor but a ghost yes exactly that's what I that's what I'm getting at thank you yeah because you you get a glimpse but then it's not really part of what you're doing very much at all I I personally like it. Um, I do wish there was maybe a little bit more and maybe more of an incentive to uh, to go back to some of these areas. Um, you know, I guess it's something to do if you only have one turn left in a uh, in a chapter. Um, but um, there's once you've once you've been through a town once, um, there's there's not much reason to go back. But um, yeah, and that that they definitely there could be more there. Like there, there's really. Unless you're recruiting someone, there are only a couple instances in the entire game where you go to a town and something actually happens. That's right. Yeah. Um, so a little more of that would have been good. <laughs> hmm. Um. So who have you sent to uh, Valhalla so far? Uh, um. So I've been sending a lot of people. Actually, I sent Jolanda. I sent Belenus, who we didn't really tell his story. So yeah, maybe, maybe we should talk maybe about some Belenis. other time. Okay, yeah, another time. That's fine. No! You sure? Um, I don't mind going into it now. I sent him very, very early as well. Um, I actually heard that he's a pretty good character, but that was after the fact. um, Uh. After I sent him, and, like, I never had much luck with him before. But, yeah, let's let's touch on on Belenus. All right, great. Did you keep him around for very long, or did you send him in the first chapter as well? I sent him in the first chapter. Mm -hmm. Yep, same here. Um, but he... It seemed like he had a pretty good life, actually, unlike some of the other characters. Like, he was kind of noble class in a small town. Yeah. Well, kind of, he had a good life at the uh, um, exploitation of others, let's say. Yeah. 
I was just about to get to that. It's not exactly his fault. Uh, he he was born into a into a rich family uh, who uh, who have slaves from Yamato, um, and as he uh, as he grew up, he continued the family's tradition. So I think he's at fault there. But um, yeah, he is. It's it's this weird sort of uh, almost wishy washy thing where uh, he grew up with Asaka, who I guess was a young girl that the family brought in. Um, but it's implied that it was because Maria, their, their other servant, felt sorry for her at the auction. That's right. Um, and he, Bellinus was, you know, always treated her well, but at the same time, like, he's taking her later on in life to help pick out someone else because they need more help in the house. So, mm. Mm, not, not, not good choices. Not at all. But, like... <laughs> Also, like, when she comes to town when he's a young man, there's almost, like, kind of an implied uh, romance between them, but he ends up, I think he ends up taking a wife, and she just ends up, you know, taking the role of the servant in the house. Um, right. But one who is, you know, treated well, but still has to uh, has to come to the slave auction uh, with, with Bellinus. And um, they get to the slave auction, and there's no slaves. Yeah, I'm, ah. Uh... Uh, I think I was kind of relieved at that, but at the same time, just... Me too, but... Ugh, I don't know. It's it's a pretty grim, uh, grim sequence. It um, makes it it makes it really hard to sympathize with him. Yeah, that's why I sent him away. <laughs> I need this fancy lad with his with his uh, indentured servants. Yeah, no. Um, and, and then there's the weird implication that, like, his house gets cursed. Yeah. A uh, vampire comes to town, and uh, I guess has the vampire been killing the ladies before, or is or is Asaka the first victim? I'm not I'm totally clear on that. I don't know. The vampire says something about her being like the final victim, but it doesn't. We don't know where the other victims are. Or what's happened? Yeah, I think. So yeah, Asaka uh, gets attacked by a vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Valkyrie steps in. Because it's, you know, a supernatural occurrence and warns him and says, you know, your house is under attack. So he yeah. goes, um, it's too late. He says he's trapped by his circumstances. So now he wants to do something good for Asaka. Mm. Um, so he takes her place and he dies and not her. Mm. But then later, if you go back to the house, you find some like some poetry that's about vampires and it's like in his room so i i don't i don't know what's going on there <laughs> twilight fan maybe Ugh, i wouldn't be surprised if he i don't know if he somehow like alerted the vampires or something <laughs> so we both sent bellinus in chapter one yes. oh. and... and i sent alanda too i know it's a good strategy to keep her around because Depending on how the game plays out, it might be a while before you get another sorceress, but I sent her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, who have I sent? I wanted to send um, Llewellyn, and um, his hero rank uh, was not high enough, so I ended up sending June. Uh, and then um, I still couldn't get that hero rank any higher. I think Llewellyn's just a bit of a, a not very good character who you're supposed <laughs> to send early on. Uh, so um, I ended uh, up um, sending uh, Janice, who is another archer. Who's he's, he's another interesting character, actually. Um, and one I haven't recruited yet. Have you not? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Uh, but I suppose you've seen him in in past games. But um, uh-huh. I guess we can probably talk about him in the next chapter then, since we did Belmas yeah. now. We should also talk about Nanami next time because I've recruited her, and I don't think you have yet. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we'll save them for the uh, for the next episode. Um, but let's see. I also sent Junin Lawfer because I wasn't sure how many heroes I would be able to send in Chapter 3 because Freya wants archers, oh, and yeah. there are only two of them in the entire game. So I was kind of trying to send a lot of people early in case something mm-hmm. bad happened. But yeah. I still have Llewellyn, so mm-hmm. he, he fit the bill. So that that's everyone. Yeah, that's, uh, that's me too. Um, so um, what do you think so far, coming back to it uh, after... Uh after a few years away. I actually think it's aged pretty well. Like I'm, I'm still enjoying mm-hmm. playing it a lot. Um, Same here. Um, it took me a little while to get back into it. Um, you know, I previously mentioned that long, long triace uh, intro. Um, it's one of the things that always puts me off replaying Star Ocean 2. Yeah. I, I love that game. Um, so although it took me a little while to get into, and like I haven't played this game in at least a decade, it took me a while to get back to grips with the combat engine, but once I did, um, I'm having a really, really great time with it. And I think it um, it goes along at a pretty good clip uh, as far as um, older JRPGs go. So it really does. I'm able to I'm able to do a, a chapter every night or every two nights. Yeah, that's actually one. That is definitely something that we should say in its favor is that it's just kind of compartmentalized in a way that makes it really easy to play a little bit at a time. Once you get through that long intro which actually I'm going to be honest I I brought a friend in actually who hadn't seen the game during that intro just so I don't like have someone to talk to and like yeah interact with to get it's, through it so. it's almost like they should have made both prologues um optional <laughs> instead of just the uh, the one yeah or found found a way to break it up with something other than just do you want to save your game now uh, I don't know yeah it's it's very long. I th- think it's one of those games that takes like an hour or two to before uh, you get into the game proper. Um, but um, after that, it does speed along at a good clip. Um, it wastes no time um, in you know recruiting characters, uh, blazing through dungeons, and um, carrying out the sacred phase. So um, it's uh, yeah that that is definitely something in its favor, and it's what. It's what is making this so playable to me in a way that many other PlayStation era RPGs just aren't anymore because I just don't have the time. Yeah, agreed. Well, I think that's where we'll close out our first episode on Valkyrie Profile. Um, we hope that you've enjoyed listening. It's been really fun talking with you today, Hillary. It's been, it's yeah, been great same. to revisit this game. It really has. But um, next week, uh, we are doing our uh, Lunar Year of the Dog episode on Okami. Our RPG fan is finally covering Okami. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, panel of uh, retro hosts will be talking about that at length uh, and then we'll be back in two weeks on March 1st uh, to talk about the second half of Valkyrie Profile uh, if you want to write in you can email us at retro at rpgfan.com and you can uh, comment on the boards I think in the uh, game journals board uh, on the forums uh, you can find our uh, dedicated retro encounter uh, thread where you can uh, post comments and suggestions or uh, visit us on the Facebook page. There's usually a post that goes up with, with uh, each uh, retro episode every week now. Uh, and uh, you know, we love interacting with our readers and our listeners. Um, you can leave us a review on iTunes uh, or Google Play or any of those podcasting venues. Um, as I said, we love to hear from you. 
But um, Hillary, where can people find you online if they want to talk to you? I am EP Fire on the boards, and that's probably the best, easiest way to reach me. I am Towns Carmarty on the boards, and I'm on Twitter at MissAnthroBob. Um, and with that, uh, once again, we thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.